Good morning. It's good to see you. Spring is almost here. <laughs> Some of us are like hoping, right? I think I told somebody uh, the snow flurries flying yesterday just were like, are you kidding me? Really? It, they weren't kidding at all, at all. Well, if you have your Bibles, take them out and turn to Matthew chapter 13. If you do not have a Bible, in front of you is one, and you can turn to page 691 and turn there. Uh, You'll need it. Uh, Again, if you've never heard this before, you need a Bible, you don't have a Bible, or you don't like the one that you're reading, uh, which may seem kind of strange because most of us pull out our cell phones, right? We can get any version we want, but maybe you want a hard, hardback, seriously, or a paper copy. Uh, we have new believer, believer's Bibles that are out there in the uh, welcome area, or you can take the one that's in the pew and uh, take it and use it. If you're able to stand this morning, uh, not to get our calisthenics in, but to get our calisthenics in, uh, we would ask you to read or stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, starting in the 24th verse. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, uh, didn't, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and and then tie them into bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom is like heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like, sorry, yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden uh, since the creation of the world. Then Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the the field." field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will weed out all of the weed out all 
of his kingdom, his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom, in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has hear, ears, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, as we gather today, I'm grateful that you're with us because we get to put our attention and our affections in the direction as Scott already directed us in prayer toward God. We have that wonderful opportunity and it's where we get our guidance as a church and as a people at Ipsy Free. Let's talk about the weeds and wheat and weeds. Um, so, what is on your list that God has done and God has graciously allowed you to experience this week? The good that he's experienced. Let me, let me name a few that I think uh, we may think about or maybe not think about as we go along. Some of them may be mine. Uh, some of them may be just yours. Uh, I, I enjoyed the heat yesterday in my house. I don't know about you, with snow flying outside, I enjoy the heat. Um, I had a few meals, uh, I don't know about you this last week, did you have a few meals, food, uh, clothing, yep, I'm clothed, uh, friends, I enjoyed friends, family, uh, I'm just going to uh, kind of just say uh, something, we love matches and placements and jobs, right Eric Duguay? Yeah, yeah, I know where he's at. We love them. Did you know, I read that this this morning, that there are 42,000 people, 42,000 in the medical field who are, are desiring to get placed, uh, and 40,000 in Michigan, 40,000 of them get placed because that's all the openings there are. And in the state of Michigan, uh, for if you're a U of M student, uh, that 38% of those students uh, generally get placed back in Michigan and not always at U of M. It's amazing what you pick up. We're grateful for placements and uh, opportunity. I'm grateful for my community group. Uh, are you grateful for your kids? I am. My health, I'm grateful for my health, my, uh, my spouse, my wife. Pray that you're grateful for yours. If not, we can have a conversation and work towards that. Seriously, yeah. Uh, I'm grateful for the word of God, the spirit, community of faith, new life, births, uh, all of those things, traveling, exercise. What would you add to your list that you're just grateful for? Uh, I was with a friend this last week who told me that he didn't need chemo because they didn't find cancer. Now, uh, to get to this point, I have to tell you that they had to remove a few things in, this, in my friend's body to get to this point. But to even get to this point without having to have chemo was an answer of a miraculous nature, he told me. Isn't that great? I mean, God shows up in just some of the simple things, and we need to know those. But he also shows up in some of the very grand things that we pray about, and we go, is this possible, Lord? May it come to pass, and we celebrate those things. Yet in spite of all the good things and the miraculous things that we may personally or friends of ours and family members of ours experience, we know that there's a life full of potholes, pits, and canyons, don't we? We do. 
We do. The war in Ukraine, wars and civil unrest around the world, racism, unnecessary hunger, unclean water, politics, poverty, those are big ones, right? Those are just big categories. But you have yours, right? You have your pits, potholes, and canyons that you walk through or maybe even walking through now, right? If I ask you to turn to somebody uh, and share... Uh, some pit from this last week that you went through, and I, you know, or a pothole or whatever, whatever you want to call it, what would you share? You probably haven't thought about them that way. Hurts, hangups, or heartaches, you know? What would it be? I bet we would all be able to find at least a couple. <laughs> Even on the best days, there are places and spaces that we realize, whoa, it's just not right. Things aren't the way they should be. Let's take a moment and pray as we get into this message. Lord, you know us and you know our situations in this world. The good and the bad. In fact, you told, uh, your, your son told us through the word that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Lord, we ask that not just in these moments would your spirit invade, but that, Father, your spirit would guide us in all ways. And that, Father, even as we uh, take a look at your word, would you give your wisdom and your insight. Open it beyond, open us beyond ourselves to you, your Son, and your Holy Spirit that we may live and live life abundantly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus tells three parables to the crowd, and then he explains only one of them to the disciples. I, I want to remind us of what we learned last week about parables, because I think it's, uh, I, I, love the, I love the quote, and I think it's apropos. A parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, that, uh, life arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. Uh, a couple of things from last week. One, it's common. Uh, common life, it's, it's brought back. And that there's a fact that it's strange enough or peculiar enough that our minds want to go back and kind of go, hey, did I get everything that I should? Did I understand it the way I should? And so that is a parable. I'm not going to go into it a little bit later, but I'm going to attempt to dive into the kingdom is like in these parable statements. A mustard seed, a mustard seed. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's just a wonderful plant that we often, uh, we see around. Did these little, uh, some of us may have these mustard seeds in our uh, uh, our kitchens, uh, because they are used in our kitchens and uh, for cooking, but they often, uh, we don't think of mustard growing into a large tree. And so there's a lot of questions that may come to our minds if we're literalists and not understanding the, the opportunity that uh, the parable has for us. Jesus, did you know that the mustard seed is not the smallest seed? Uh, Yes, he did know that, by the way. He did know that. But he knew it was very common. That's the point, that they would see it, they would understand it, and they would be able to, to, to draw this in. That the seed is so small... And yet it has the ability to uh, perch, have, tree, or ha- have birds perch on it and, uh, when it's grown. I mean, it's, it was a common uh, 
theologian Lightfoot writes that it was a common saying of the day to use this phrase. So Jesus is only grabbing from what culture is around them saying and stating. Uh, to, to use the mustard seed, he is, he's wanting us to, to look at life and see how uh, insignificant the kingdom may be, but how big it can be, right? That it's something so small can grow to so something, something so big. In the manuscript found in, uh, of Daniel, found in your Old Testament, we're introduced to a tree in chapter four, which has, which has similar attributes to this tree that Jesus is describing in Matthew 13 for us. The tree has branches. Listen to this. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on, its fu- and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches from... From, from it, every creature was fed. In Daniel 4, verses 20 and 21, it says, The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with its beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. He's describing in Daniel uh, this tree that's growing, but the picture is one of beauty. It's one of beauty because it's supposed to be the kingdom that is coming. It's the kingdom that is growing in the midst of what is happening around them. In Ezekiel, it says, All the birds of the sky nested in its boughs. All the animals of the wild gave birth under its branches. All the great nations lived in its shade. What Jesus is trying to capture us with is that something that is seemingly so small a word dropped here or there, a, a truth given doesn't seem to have the impact that you would think it would have, but over time it has this ability to change and alter who we are. Same with a kingdom. What may seem small now will be large. He is trying to tell us, he's, well, he's giving us a, 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 a foreshadowing of what is to come. Zechariah 4.10, maybe you're familiar with this, whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Uh, the, the small things that we think are small, they will not always stay as small as we think. Have you ever used the phrase about someone or something uh, that kind of couched that don't underestimate her size or his size? Uh, often use that uh, in regards to my mom in the past, kind of humorously, but there is some truth to that, right? What about the story of David and Goliath? We think that it's, it's kind of mind-altering, right? That somebody so small, so uh, maybe underprepared for battle would go to war with somebody so big and giant size, but I think all the way through, God is attempting, has attempted to show us, and Jesus is stating it here, is the small that you see will grow big. It will change the course of time in that case. Maybe you've, uh, 
maybe it's, uh, maybe this will help. It helped me when I was thinking about it. I was uh, prescribed some medicine recently for a for an itch that, uh, for a rash that I was not supposed to itch, and I was suspecting that I was itching at night that causing uh, more problems for myself. So there was two medicines they gave me, one that was uh, less potent for the day uh, to help me to stop itching, and another for the night. Um, and wasn't really sure uh, about this, so I, I took the medicine and I remember the PA said to me, said, look, it, it, you'll be fine. You'll get up and you'll be, you know, you won't be droggy the next day. Let me tell you, that little pill, uh, you know, it, it, it threw me for a loop the next day. And I was like, nope, it's not happening. I remember going to the PA, just went, went to the PA. That's probably why I was fresh in my mind. I went to, and she said, you didn't take any of it? I said, I took one pill. She said, really? That's all? Like, yeah, absolutely wasn't going to take any more. I did not like that feeling. I like being in control. I like my mind clear, that type of thing. So something so small can have such a great impact in the kingdom. That is a truth that we must, we must understand. He goes on to say the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. Now, some of you who know about, uh, know about cooking and sourdough and how all that process works, it's a wonderful thing. You know, baking bread with leaven, or really it's leaven, it wasn't yeast, is one of the most personally satisfying uh, things to do. It's this incredibly simple products or simple uh, organic things in it and how it changes in uh, you know, in just different ways, and the flavor and different, different times of the year of your bread. Now, you, you may not be into that, and I get all that, but it is incredible. Uh, Katrina Vandenberg, who is a bread baker, writes this, yeast has taught me to watch, be patient, and the importance of timing when, when to just wait and trust that the dough is riding, rising without my help and to, to, to uh, wind and when to, I think, when to intervene and either to divide, shape, fold, slash, bake the dough. It changes every day. You can't take it for granted. The day you think you've got it down pat, the dough humbles you with some sort of change. But here she goes. She switches, switches into the kingdom. In relationship to the kingdom, yeast is alive or leaven is alive. It has taught me how to work with the living and how to actively wait. This, this idea of taking leaven or yeast and seeing it change and transform flour, salt, and water into something you would eat. Now, you would never eat any of those things. Well, some of you might. Separately, I wouldn't uh, eat them separately necessarily. You just wouldn't. But when you combine them, the, the nature of what's there changes and transforms into something that is edible and is sustainable for life, which what makes communion just so beautiful, simple, yet sustainable for life. See, small amounts of the kingdom will grow exponentially. Small amounts of the kingdom will grow ex- exponentially. Now, it's interesting. Uh, we have this relationship between uh, the leaven or the yeast and the wheat and the weeds. What's interesting about it is to, in, in order to use wheat for 
creating bread, it has to be ground from its original form into something that's usable. It cannot be used in the way that it is. So on to the wheat and weed. Weed, weed, and weeds. Excuse me. Now, oftentimes when we, when we read this, the kingdom of heaven is like, we often think of it in terms of inside the church. Let me give you uh, a caution here from D.A. Carson. The parable does not address the church situation, but explains how the kingdom can be present in the world while yet not wiping out all opposition. The parable does not address the church situation at all, but explains how the kingdom can be present in the world while wiping out while not wiping out all opposition. You have the summary of the, of, the, of the story. So this is the truth, that the kingdom people and the kingdom will coexist along evil people and evil. That's the way life is. So along with the good that we could list off all this week, all of the, all of the negative we could list off too, lives and coexists next to us. So let's just talk about the wheat and the weeds quickly. They may look similar. I don't know if you looked at the picture before, but they look very similar at certain stages. They look similar. One is Darnell, as I understand it, and the other one is wheat. The roots as Jesus explains, are interwoven because they are seated next to each other. And both will grow. We may not like to hear that, but both will grow. What about the weeds? The weeds will grow. They'll take. Now you think about this. They'll take nourishment. They'll take water. They'll take anything that is fed to them alongside of the wheat. They will take away, and they will die. They will be burned up. This is an an image that that Jesus is giving to us at the the time of judgment, when the, the wheat and the weeds will be separated, and the weeds themselves will be burned. They are poisonous, as I understand, and... The weeds, they don't bear any fruit. There's nothing that can be eaten from them. There's nothing that can be taken from them to be used. So what about the wheat? They will grow, they will give, and they will live on. They will grow. We know that. They're going to exist in the field. They're going to give back. There are two different things that they have. One is they, they give us seed in order to plant for more, right? And then they will live on in terms of the fact that they can, they can give to us food that is good for us to eat. They'll bear fruit. And as Jesus says, they will shine like the sun one day. The wheat will shine like the sun. Jesus then uses these famous words to us, whoever has ears, let them hear, right? So he makes it very clear what the parable's about. It's not about the church, it's about how we live in the world and that the, the evil will be as, as with the good, right? That there will be, the kingdom will exist alongside of what is happening evil in the world. 
So maybe, just maybe, some of us have kind of questioned, how is this even possible? Our, our questioning and curiosity of God is, you know, wait a second, shouldn't you obliterate those things that are evil around you? And he, he, he says, no, it will not happen. Because in the uprooting of the wheat, or the weeds, the uprooting of the, the wheat will happen too. And so there will be a day there will be a day that comes. And he says, whoever has ears, let them hear. So as I sat with this, and I was like, Lord, what do you, what do you want, want us to know? What do you want us to follow into? What do you want us to, to walk into? What are our next steps? If this is the reality, because that's what he's doing, he's just painting a reality of what the kingdom is, not what you can necessarily do. Or Well, there's some things you can do. We're going to get to it. But there's just the reality of the kingdom. That's the interesting thing with these parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It will happen no matter what. Kingdom of heaven is like yeast or the mustard seed or the wheat and the weeds. I think Jesus is attempting to to elicit a response for those who are wheat. And it's this. Keep close to Jesus. Keep close to Jesus. I'm going to chase to John 15, if you don't mind, out of Matthew 13. But I think that this is, our, this is what he's trying to say, is that if the weeds and the wheat are coexisting, you have no other choice than to stay, keep close to Jesus. This idea of abiding and remaining in Jesus is huge. John 15, 4 says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me? Our, our task is to be in God and to be with God. It's a tall order some days, isn't it? It's simply a tall order in, in light of the world and the wickedness and the evilness around us to remain in Jesus, but Jesus wants us to keep in him. I think borrowing from previous weeks, keep doing the will of the Father. Keep doing the will of the Father. Don't, don't back off. Lean in. Keep close to Jesus. Do his will. Do his bidding. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as, my, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Our, our call is to, to lean in, to keep doing what he's called us to do, not, not to take a, a day off, a week off, a year off, but to lean in and keep doing the will of the Father. Lastly, I would like to uh, present this, to keep trust or faith in Jesus. Now, you might say, well, you've already said that. Well, yes, maybe. Yes, maybe. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can keep close to Jesus, but are you keeping faith and trust in Jesus? It's, it's simple, but it's definitively difficult in a world in which we live where there is both weeds and wheat 
growing simultaneously, the subtle moves to shift to be influenced and by the weeds or the evil in the world is there. It's a reality. Following Jesus is hard. Simply this. When it seems as if there's so little change happening, right? Inside us, in our families, or in our network of our world. It's just hard. And we have to acknowledge that. Following Jesus is hard when my small bit seems insignificant. My small little bit, my prayers in the morning, my devotions, and then my speaking, my invitations, my encouragements for somebody to consider the claims of Christ seems pretty insignificant, especially when they rebuff it. But that's what Jesus calls us to do, to be obedient to the will of the Father, not just to the commandments, but to to be his mouthpiece, to be his reflection, as Jesus has already told us in Matthew chapter 5, we're the salt and light of the world. It's not just to not to just to be about the things that we find comfortable, but to lean in and do our small little bit with the world in which we live and exist around. Following Jesus is hard when it seems as this evil and evil people will triumph. Many of you probably know that uh, uh, the the president of Russia was was brought up on charges, world crime charges, right? And as I listened to that storyline, the storyline went, well, is anybody actually going to go get him? (laughs) Right? And since he's not part of the, what is it, the ICC, something like that, probably won't happen, at least not in the form that it is now. And you kind of go, really? Now, where you're at in that situation doesn't really matter. But the point is that that, it just sometimes is hard. When you look around, you go, is the crime going to go down? Are people going to stop lying? Is my workplace going to be healthier? It just seems difficult. Thus, we need to keep close to Jesus, keep doing the will of the Father, and keep faith, keep our faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, uh, to be honest, the last couple of weeks, just the, the, the starkness of, of the reality of the world in which we are has uh, a jarring effect. That sometimes we can find ourselves in the same place that I think some of your disciples were in. That, Lord Jesus, we just take care of it right now. Even some, even some of uh, the psalmists say the same thing. Lord, just take care of the evil around us so that, Father, we can live in the holiness we sang about earlier. Yet, Father, you call us to be the light in the darkness. You call us to be the salt where there is no flavor the preservative where there is no preservation. So, Father, I pray right now, Lord, as we prayed earlier, that you would give us wisdom, you would give us your spirit empowerment, and that, Father, we would be reminded of what Jesus himself said and did, that while there, in this world there is trouble, he has overcome the world, and he overcame it with the self-sacrificing love that he lived. 
So Lord, as we come to your table in these next few moments, remind us of the surrender of Jesus that gave us the love and grace and mercy of Jesus to allow us to to be empowered by the spirit of the living God and to, to keep, keep in step with you, to keep close with you, keep doing your will, and to keep the faith in which you have deposited within us. Friends, there may be some of you here who it's been a while and you want to recommit. You recognize that uh, there may be a little distinguishing between you, the wheat and the weeds in the world that you live and the people around you. So this is multi-layered. If, if you need to recommit your heart and life to Jesus this morning, use the prayer. If you need to commit your life to Jesus this morning, use this prayer and pray it with me. Thank you for your mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus. Save me and forgive me from my sins. I give you my life and choose to follow, love, and live for you. Thank you for inviting me to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.